Welcome to the Your Confident Self Podcast with Allegra Sinclair. Get ready to punch fear in the throat and gain confidence like never before. I help corporate women get the confidence to ask for the job they want and do the work they love. Isn't it time you got unstuck and showed the world how fabulous you are? Hey, this is Allegra. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Today is definitely a big girl panties type show because we are going deep. And today we're talking about grief, but in a different way than you may have heard it discussed in other places. We're talking about grief and how you grieve situations and circumstances in life. And we're also going to dive into grief and racial trauma. So my guest today is Ray Fisher, and he's a psychotherapist and executive coach and a facilitator who's worked with a variety of families and couples. Because he's a relationship expert, he uses all of the knowledge that he's gained throughout his career in order to help them move forward to address what is and then move towards what they would like. He has over 20 years of clinical experience and over 10 years coaching leaders. His style is so accessible and so warm and not judgmental. And it's grounded in research that's based on techniques that focus on helping all of us reach our stated goals. I am super excited to dive into this very touchy but very important subject with my dear friend, Ray Fisher. Welcome to the show, Ray. Hey, Libra. How are you? I am good. I'm excited to talk with you. But yes, I am good. And it's funny because I feel weird saying I'm good when so many things in the world are not. But I feel like my being good is a little bit of rebellion. (laughs) (laughs) My being good is a little bit of protest. So I'm good. Yes. Good. Yes. Yeah, there is a lot going on. But being good in this going on doesn't mean that you're not aware and feeling what's bad as well. So that's a good thing. It is, but it's so funny how we tend to see things in black and white, right? Mm -hmm. So like you have to be either or. One of the things I learned in coach training, which I found fascinating, was who says it has to be either or? Why can't there be something in the middle? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, isn't that the the beauty of life, right? Like really, there are two sides, right? We're both those sides. Like we're good and bad. Yeah. Goes on. <laughs> I think it's particularly apt for people of color when we say that yeah. we're good and bad because so often we're wearing a mask in most of our lives. But I'm jumping the gun. So let me <laughs> back up just a minute. A couple months ago, when the pandemic kicked off, I think we were talking about this before the show, and I'm naturally an introvert. So when they told me that I had to shelter in place, I was like, I, <laughs> I will continue to do many of the things that I have been doing because I'm happy alone, mm-hmm. right? And I mm-hmm. have everything that I need and the things that I don't have, somebody will bring them to me. Mm-hmm. So, but what I noticed pretty quickly was whether I was talking with clients or family members, there were people who were really suffering. They were mm-hmm. angry that their world had changed and no one asked their permission. And they really were struggling with not being able to name what was going on with them. Have you been seeing that as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think what was really interesting about uh, the pandemic and what I was, what I hopefully help my clients with and coaches with was I found that when they were most in trouble was when they were struggling with what used to be. Mm -hmm. So their desire to have it as it used to be, and that's gone, right? And so to 
have them pivot and to ask themselves the question or ask the universe, God, whoever, whoever one looks at, what, what about me do I need to leave behind? And why is, has this come from me now? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes. I was trying not to talk while you were talking, but I'm waving uh, my hanky. <laughs> you can't see me, but I'm waving my hanky right now because I think the challenge to change, the challenge to grow always includes in it, I'm comfortable where I am. Even if where I am right now hurts me, I'm yes. comfortable with the pain because it's familiar. And yeah. now you want me to go to this different place and you didn't ask me, <laughs> and, right? right? There's a lot of that. Right. It feels like a five-year-old kind of like stamping their feet. So for people who are like, I'm not sheltering in place or yeah. I'm not social distancing or I'm not wearing a mask, all of these different things we're seeing, I understand it, yeah. but it's still troubling, right? And yeah, I still, I mean, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I, it's such an acting out. Right? Yeah. Like it's such an acting out around, um, if you think about when developmentally, like with kids, you know, don't, the five-year-old doesn't want to do anything. They're not <laughs> going to do it. <laughs> and they pout. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Stamp their feet, mm-hmm. throw things, <laughs> say no, you know, oh, all those things. Five-year-olds are allowed to throw things? I was unfamiliar with that. <laughs> oh, yeah, they throw things. <laughs> oh, they do. Not in my okay. house. I wish I had thought about it. If I had thought about throwing some things in my house, I wouldn't have thrown it a second time. But I do I do understand what you mean. But yes, this rebellion we're seeing is people who are grieving the yes. life that we had before. And so yes. of, well, I know I have learned a lot about grief recently, haven't I? I didn't want to. I wanted yeah. to stamp my feet and not learn about it. But one yeah. of the things that I have learned is in that first stage when you're just like, why? I don't get it. Like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Denial? Is that one of the stages? That is one of the okay. stages. So um, I, had a, I have a friend who, when my mom first passed, would like send me notes. Hey, here are the stages of grief. Where do you think you are? I was like, this child is ready to meet Jesus. If she says this, <laughs> if she says this to me one more again, I, don't know. I love her, but I'm going to have to love her at a distance because you better stop asking me like there's a schedule. So what I know about grief is that there is no specific time. And that people grieve individually. But it's interesting in this case, because we are all grieving of what the world looked like before. Right. So we're all grieving a time when, um, I'm going to try not to talk about the president, but we're all grieving a time when there was different types of leadership versus Mm -hmm. the type that we're seeing now. So Mm -hmm. tell me what's one thing. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just want to make that bigger. This is bigger than that. This is bigger than leadership. This is bigger than, like, not only is the grief there, but there's a huge amount of fear because we don't know what's going to happen. And I say it's bigger because what we're sort of seeing, and this is this is also part of the grief, is that the systems that we have in place don't work, mm. right? And so there's a major restructuring going on, not only in our systems, but in ourselves. Ooh, that was good. That's good enough to tweet. That is, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Have you ever listened to the show? Yeah, I'm like this all the time. Um, I think that is so delicious in that the things that we always thought, well, even if I'm not thinking about them right now, but I know I can rely on X, yes. that is broken. 
Yes. So it is grief on so many levels. And I think one of the things that helps people is acknowledging that you're grieving. And I don't see a lot of people doing that. And I definitely don't see a lot of people of color. And most of the time I'm surrounded by women of color. So I don't see a lot of women of color who are willing to name what they're going through. Right. We think that we have to like put on our cape and keep, you know, looking good, doing good, showing up. And when you're in the midst of grief, you can't do that. Because here's the thing, grief is disrespectful and it will wait. Mm, So mm -hmm. if you decide to try to ignore it for like, I don't know, whatever period of time, it will wait very patiently. And then at the most inconvenient time, it'll be like, hey, (laughs) remember me? I'm still here. You haven't dealt with me. So let me just rip some stuff up right now so that you will deal. So what kinds of things can people do right now to deal with just that grief around the different life based on the pandemic, because we're going to touch mm-hmm. on another aspect of that grief. But mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. kinds of things can people do today to better handle this grief? One, you have to uh, identify that you're grieving, right? Right. Like you have to, you know, I'm a big sitter. I'm a big sitter, quietly. A big sitter? Yes, meaning that I sit and contemplate a lot. I'll, I'll tell you a little funny story about that. Uh, I'm, I meet with a group of friends and we do all this sort of like coaching work with each other. And since last summer, I kept saying, I just want to walk away, find a cave, and I just want to sit there quietly for as long as possible because I felt like something wanted to come, something wanted to emerge. And uh, then the pandemic hit. <laughs> and, and I got my wish. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got my cave. <laughs> and it was a beautiful thing. Okay. And I say that because what I realize is we don't sit still long mm. enough to figure out what's happening. What am I feeling? What am I experiencing? What do I need to do? Right? So that's the thing about grief, Right? I have to sit with this thing, this pain, this sadness, this denial, whatever it is. I have to sit with it enough to learn what it's trying to tell me. That's good stuff right there. We're going to repeat that for the people in the back. That was really good stuff. And it's funny that until you said that, I hadn't thought about the pandemic as a way to slow us down. Or oh. sit us, a big sitter. Oh. I love that. I was like, a big sitter? Honey, what's that? But um, <laughs> I love that because nice. I'm seeing some people taking the opportunity to do all sorts of things, right? Just activity. So there's yes. a lot of people decluttering and there's a lot of people. Yes. I say when things feel out of control, we control the pudding out of the things that we feel we have left to control. Mm-hmm. So I've seen mm-hmm. a fair amount of that. But I have also seen people saying, I've always wanted to learn how to play the piano. So they're like taking mm-hmm. classes online or I've always wanted to learn whatever and using this mm-hmm. as an opportunity for some sort of personal development. So that is interesting. Kind of the forced sitting, the forced, ref- Absolutely. right? The forced um, reflecting um, mm-hmm. that is deep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, one of the first things we can do um, to help battle the grief is acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. And then don't fight it. I heard you say sit with it, mm-hmm. deal with mm-hmm. it. Is there mm-hmm. a third step? 
Yeah, let me let me go back to the sitting with it too. One of the really important things about when we're sitting with grief or any other feeling, the tendency is to feel the feeling and then tell a story about the feeling. So oh, tell me more about that. Yeah, let me say so. My aunt died uh, last year. Um, I was really sad, and the story that I would tell myself about that was. Four months before that, she sent me a um, a card saying, "You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna be on this earth much longer, so you need to come see us." And I did. So is the story, story? Is, this is a true story. Okay. So the story is, you know, not only am I sad, but now I'm shamed because I didn't I didn't go see my aunt, right? So so I then I get into the shame. And never process the sadness. Mm. Right? So I need to stay in the, I'm really just sad because she's no longer here. Mm. Right? I didn't know that. So I'm sorry. But the yeah. interesting thing in that is, why do we tell the, st- is telling the story delaying dealing with the emotion? Or is the story oh. a different emotion? What's going on there? I don't, you know, it's very interesting. The story keeps us, my experience is the story keeps us from growing, from, let me, let me back up for a second. Let me just give a little philosophy of how I see, how I've learned these things or how I'm, how I come to understand this whole thing a little bit better. Okay. Everything that we do experience happiness is a lesson. If we can hold that everything that happens to us is a lesson, then the question is, what is it trying to teach me? Mm. Right? So then I can move myself out of this, out of the story, because what the story is doing is just keeping me, it's sort of like running in mud just keeping me stuck because I'm in a story and the story is not really that important, right? What's really important are the feelings and what are they trying to tell me? Mm, That's really good. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems that um, the story is like putting a bandaid on something that actually needed stitches Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I also think, I don't know, you're the expert, but I also think the story removes us from responsibility for whatever happened. So if there's a story around something, I'm not talking about your case in particular, but I'm saying Mm -hmm. if um, I didn't get a job, I didn't get a promotion. And the story I'm telling myself is I didn't get the promotion because the boss is racist. Yes. That may very well be true, but what can I do about that? Right. So staying stuck in that particular story keeps me from dealing with the fact that there may be racism in my workplace and how do I work around that? How do I succeed in spite of? So it stops me from growing and it removes my power. Yes. Yes, exactly. So if you think of, if you think about all of this as energy, right? We're all energy. So let's just go with the racism one. So I don't get the, I don't get the, Uh, promotion so therefore so then what happens i get really angry 
I don't express the anger to somebody. So now I'm holding it, right? So now I'm not only do I not have 100% energy anymore, I'm also using 20% to hold that 25% at bay, mm. right? The, I'm not going to go off on my boss thing, right? Yes. So now I'm only functioning with 60% of the energy that's available to me. Whoo! So how powerful right. does that feel? Exactly. <laughs> right? How powerful right. can you be on 60% of you? Exactly. And so I, and let me just flip that again. So then, really, if you think about people of color, and I'm going to specialize, I'm give a big shout out to Black people. Look at what we've done on 60% of our energy. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Wow. There's something so um, elevating about that and something devastating at the same time. Yeah. I mean, yes. And. Yes. I'm like, oh my gosh, think about all the amazing things that we have done. Because as I sit here, I'm just awash in images of all of our amazing accomplishments. And then because of these last couple of weeks, I'm immediately thinking, can you imagine what we would have seen if not for the 40% drain on our energy stores? So that's why I meant it is elevating and exciting. And I want to dance if I had any rhythm, which you know, I do not. But there's (laughs) there's the part of me that's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then there's a part of me that's like, oh my gosh, I want to hurt someone because you don't even Mm. know. So race and the pandemic are combining for me Mm. right now, right? And I keep telling people, um, racism is the other pandemic. Yes. That's going on Absolutely. at this moment. It is just as deadly. And we're kind of dealing with two. Only this one, no one's working on a virus. I mean, what do you call it? No one's working on a, um, a vaccine. vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. Or racism, if only, right? Exactly. Exactly. And and just, you know, I know we're talking about grief, but and to say, to also add to that is that I have a feeling and that what you just said about Black people is the switch, right? I think that's the turn. I think that's why there's so much um, so much pent-up anger that's being released out into the universe, right? That's what these um, uprisings are about, <clears throat> right? Like there's all this intergenerational anger and hurt and sadness and shame that has just been held for centuries. And grief. And grief, right? So That's you're laying the, grief on top of that suck salad that was all exactly. that other stuff that you just talked exactly. about. And it's no wonder exactly. we're seeing. Right. Are there different right. strategies for dealing with grief if it's based on racial trauma? And it's interesting. And I want you to talk a little bit about why you call it racial trauma. So let me just mm-hmm. ask that question because I'm good for asking so, three at one time. So talk sure. about why you're calling it racial trauma versus just racism or how we're currently acting towards one another. Right, right, right. So, you know, there's been a big push about around trauma lately and about how trauma um, impacts our lives. You know, if you think about, you know, you think about trauma, the example people use is you've been in an accident, everybody's been in an accident. And every time you get in your car after the accident for a while, um, every time you put on the brakes, you have, you know, you have a, that flashback. And it's not necessarily, it's actually not a flashback. It's actually a reliving of the trauma. Like the mm. trauma lives in your body, right? So it's not a flashback, right? It's an actual reliving of that moment. 
So you go through the trauma over and over. Over and over and over again. And so if you don't do something about it, it just lives in your body. So, you know, I have no no data on when we started calling this racial trauma, but I want to say in the 2000s that it started to, people started to talk about the, um, how racism impacts Black people. Um, and the trauma that lives in our bodies, there's another part I want to add, is intergenerational pro- uh, trauma, which was, um, you know, which was born out of research around Holocaust survivors. And what they found was that two, three, four generations later, Jewish people whose parents or family members had been in the Holocaust were experiencing issues related to trauma, even though they hadn't experienced any. Mm. So, right. Right. So, so it's kind of like you can pass down a predisposition uh, to high blood pressure. You can also pla- pass down your trauma. Right. So if you think, actually, if you think about Black people in America, I love that you use this medical thing. If you think about those medical things as racial trauma, mm. you, ha- you have a different outlook on what's actually happening. Right. It's not that we just eat bad. We, it, it's like literally that there's in our bodies the memory of enslavement. Ooh, that is deep. And the thing that is so striking about that is I had a very interesting reaction to the video of, I know her name is not Karen, but I'm going to call her Karen. I had a really oh. interesting reaction to Karen in Central Park, who was weaponizing her voice against a Black man who asked her to follow the rules. And the interesting thing to me was, I'm very visual, so I'm really careful about what I expose myself to, right? I expose myself to high-quality, good content on purpose because I know how my brain works. But I got that one unawares. I didn't expect to be seeing it, and then all of a sudden, I saw that. And I physically felt scared to death like I was him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that because it was not me. I don't know him. And what you just talked about explains it to me because all of us have pieces of that in our bodies. Yes. Yes. I think, um, was that Snoop Dogg tweeted the other day that we are the grandchildren of the slaves you could not kill? Yes. I loved that so much. I wanted to put it on a cupcake and eat it. (laughs) That's my other affirmation, right? That goes with the law. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. I just want to say this. That, that goes with the other part about our energy and how wonderful we could be. We must, as Black people, and I know everybody's on this call, but we must, as Black people, remember who we are. That's mm. part of our healing. That's part of the grief healing. We have to remember who we are. We are the descendants of people who were stolen, looted from their countries, from their continent. They were chained at the bottom of ships, shoulder to shoulder, living in feces and urine, fed subsistence level food for months, and then endured the dehumiliation of slavery. We are those people. We are from those people. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh huh. 
that that holding that that's how that's how we get through all of this stuff right that's how we deal with grief that's how we deal with any of the sort of issues that we have whatever mental health issue it is we have to remember that we are strong and capable and that this we will get through that was so good. I can't wait to hear this episode so I can just listen to this over and over and over. I have goosebumps. That was so good. Because often, and in the last couple of weeks, again, I'm really careful what I'm exposing myself to because I'm too vulnerable and I cannot yeah. be walking. I cannot be a ball of rage. Yes. I have spent yes. a lot of years being angry about a lot of different things and I didn't like it. <laughs> so yeah. once I realized that I could choose differently, I'm very protective of that. But when you're talking about how we need to remember who we are, I think we went through a period where we wanted to forget where we had been. We wanted to believe that we had risen above that or we had put that behind us. And one of the things I noticed from the time President Barack Obama started running for president was it was not far enough away. Yeah. Yeah. People who I had known for a very long time. Hello. You know, we grew up in a predominantly white, very Mm -hmm. affluent community. And I had known lots of people of all different races because that's how the area was, right? Mm -hmm. People who I had known my whole life responded to Barack Obama's candidacy in ways that blew my mind. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I thought we had left this. It is not far enough away because their response was so, I was like, Facebook is the great... I don't like Facebook for a number of reasons, but it did help me see who some people in my circle really were. And that was important mm-hmm. information to, for me to know. But I think we went through this period where we were kind of almost apologetic about our past. And I love that you just gave that a complete spin and lit it on fire. You're like, remember who you are. We survived mm-hmm. X and we are killing it right now with mm-hmm. 60% of our capacity because of what is in us. That's a very different posture than I was a slave, right? The story Mm -hmm. that we tell about descending from, I was thinking about this. It's something I'm still working for, but I think to myself, why is my mom not here? Mm. I I know, I know that's a part of the grief. Maybe we should counsel. No, I love you. We can't counsel. You need to (laughs) counsel with somebody, right? You need to work with someone who's not like a family member. And I'm like, no, I'd be playing and talking to you about chocolate. We would not do good work together. But I know that the fact that I'm still holding on to that question means I'm not done. I'm okay with that, but I'm just saying. But I thought to myself, my mom remembers whites only fountains. It's not far enough away for me to act like that's not affecting me still. My grandmother, grandmother was not allured allowed rather to learn how to read and write. She learned mm. in secret. Yes. It is not that far away. And for a lot of younger people, so I'm interested in your thoughts about the intergenerational trauma. I'm interested in how young people are responding to this because prior to the last couple of weeks and definitely prior to the protests, I thought that a lot of young people of color that I saw talk about it. And I'm not going to name a particular person, but you know, Somebody mm-hmm. said that slavery was a choice. I'm not going to mm-hmm. amplify him. But people <laughs> who were younger who talked about that, I'm like, do they not get what we went through, mm-hmm. right? Why are they acting like it couldn't have happened to them? And mm-hmm. I was think the story I was telling myself was that they didn't want to internalize that that had happened because they didn't like it. Yes. But think about how much more powerful it would be if they did internalize that and use that as fuel, which right. is what you're talking about. 
Right. Right. How can I feel less than when I'm standing here when you threw the best and the worst that you had to offer at me and I'm still standing here and I'm surviving and I'm prospering and I have joy and I have love. How can I not feel amazing when that is how I'm standing here? But the problem is that's how, um, that's how uh, whiteness works. Like the, when I use the term whiteness, what I'm talking about is white, um, white supremacy, like the sort of institutional instru- um, structures and how it also impacts itself in our bodies, right? So the story is we should be ashamed that we were slaves, right? And um, we should be ashamed that, you know, we were poor, still majority poor or whatever um but in actuality we should we should actually hold a lot of pride about who we are right how we manage to hold this country accountable and to endure everything that that this country has thrown at us that is so powerful Mm mm-hmm and so it's um, actually it's 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 actually a way that white supremacy keeps us disempowered, right? It's because they control the narrative to a great extent, yes, right. And if they, they can't they, control it, they try to kill it. Exactly, exactly. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's really it's really hard to sort of um, like even I was watching the news, like even the news, like. It's one thing to call it looting. It's another thing to call it an uprising. Yes. It's one thing to call protesters people who need a little understanding and something altogether different to call them savages or thugs. Exactly. And if we I'm were just saying, if, we, if this, <laughs> right. And if this were happening in another country, it would be written different. We, they would be reporting it differently. Yeah. Right. Especially yeah. if it was like a, a, a Muslim country or. China or something that we, they'd be saying something different, right? Mm-hmm. And that's 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 just power, period. But anyway, I digress. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's funny because I work with people all day long who aren't in America. I'm like um, one American on a team of people who are mostly in the United Kingdom and Scotland. Well, Scotland's part of it, but I'm just saying I'm like the American. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting day to day, even before this happened being the American in that group because they think about and do things differently than we do. Um, So it's been really educational for me Mm -hmm. and um, I'm way more diverse in my thinking as a result of that experience. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, But I did did that on purpose. And that's the thing. That's one of the reasons why I was telling um, the gentleman who reached out wanting to create a group of black women. I'm like, hey, I'm all for anybody who wants to amplify our voices as long as it's not like a token thing. Like, okay, I feel guilty for being white. So let me throw a little money over here and then I don't have to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. As long as that is not it, I am all for it. But I'm really interested as you talk about like trauma in the body. Because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really completely understand what that does. But I know for years I had a lot of stress that I ignored, and then there came that time when I couldn't ignore it anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. And I wish, I wish I had paid attention when the stress was trying to whisper to me, Psst, "Can we talk? <laughs> can we talk to you for a minute?" Because when it started yelling, I was really unhappy. So, what does trauma in the? How does that show up? Yeah. Well, I. I 
mostly physical, right? It can show, well, I shouldn't say that. It can show physical and it can show mental. I think, you know, people can have uh, terrible fears about certain things, um, but people can also have body breakdowns. There's a book called um, The Body Holds the Score, and I, I'm going to look it up because I forget who it's by. The Body Holds the Score? Mm-hmm. Okay. Please tell me who wrote it, and I'll add it to the show I notes. Will. Oh, The Body Keeps the Score. The Body yeah, Keeps he, the Score, and what does that teach right. you? He, he talks about how trauma lives in our body. Mm-hmm. And if we don't pay attention to the signals it sends, it sends us, it shows up in different ways. So, um, I mean, it's, a, it, it's actually pretty amazing, this thing called our body, right? And like how learning how to listen to it um, helps us learn what it is we need to know. So how do you listen to your body? Yeah. Wow. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you that, did I? No, no, you did not. (laughs) That's okay. okay. I'm pivoting. See, you don't know what I might do. I'm off my strings. I am. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that because really, you know, in in this, well, how, how I see this world is like my life is just an example of, um, how, one could live or what one can learn in life, right? So how I listen to my body now, especially, is I meditate twice a day, right? Like I meditate twice a day. I do it for as long as it feels right. I listen to what shows up, you know, like what's showing up. I'll give you a great example. Um, I didn't, I had this, I had this prayer wall in my bedroom, which is kind of funny actually it's a whole another story but uh, one of the prayers <laughs> one of the prayers says um dear god you know what my talents and abilities are i want to i want them to be in service of you um so if you can please show me the first step so the other day so i've been saying that for about um, two weeks three weeks something and so the other day i said it and uh, right before i went into meditation so i'm like meditating right and like every time i like start to meditate you know of course the thoughts come and so thoughts are coming and they're coming about um this this podcast that i want to do or this video i want to do and like the whole thing is coming i'm like okay oh good yeah i'm gonna do this right after i get done uh, <laughs> meditating right and so i try to go back and the story would keep going and i'm like okay i'm gonna do that right after definitely i'm gonna do that right after and uh the third time i was like dude <laughs> Did you remember your prayer? <laughs> but I say that because a year ago, I wouldn't have been able to slow myself down enough to hear the message. It would have taken me longer to get that. Right? So slowing down, that's why I got really disappointed about watching. I live. I can see 95 from my office. I'm looking at it right now. And the beginning of the pandemic, there were no cars um, for about three weeks. And then I started to see traffic pick up. And I could, it was so fascinating. But I started to feel really sad. And I was like, oh, what the heck? You're like, why am I so sad? And I, part of the reason why I was so sad is because people were taking the gift that was being provided to them mm-hmm. to sit and just 
understand what was going on or what was being said in their bodies, what messages were, they, were their bodies telling them, right? And so even when you said people were doing all this activity, I was like, oh, you know, like, could you just sit for an hour a day, please? <laughs> you know, That's hard for people, though. Think about our attention hard. spans nowadays. So I have um, a cousin who has children and they don't have a single book in their house, which I thought I should take those babies oh. from her. How does she have yeah. This is cruel. Who do I dial? Call 911 in childcare. I was like, what do you mean there's no books in your, what? Madness. Yeah. What black nonsense was that? But um, <laughs> she didn't have any books in her house. So uh, the two youngest kids were over here. This is several years ago. And um, one of them said, hey, can I do such and such? I think he wanted to play a video game. I was like, I don't have any video games. He's like, what? <laughs> I was like, I don't even have like the device, like the player. I don't, I'm a grown woman. I don't have those things. But it was so alien to him that I didn't have that. And yep. then I was like, oh, and the TV in the living room. Yeah, I don't have cable. I have. So, right. I'm explaining to him why he cannot do what he normally would have done. And I was like, sit still. Think of something else to amuse yourself. He looked at me like I had suggested he murder people <laughs> on, the, on the six o'clock news. It was so alien to him. So I was like, okay, yes. hey, look, we're just going to sit here together. Here's a magazine. Yeah. Just flip through the pages, right? So I'm sitting there. And he was so physically uncomfortable. It was like I could almost see him twitching, like visibly. Oh, see him twitching. Yes. Because he doesn't sit still. He doesn't stop. Yes. He doesn't slow down. There's he's a child and he's just doing what he always has done. But what's interesting mm-hmm. is I'm thinking, okay, so he's eight. He doesn't know any better. I was watching other people in the room. They were doing the same thing. Right. Yes. So there were adults in the room too. We are on our phones. We're doing 800. Mm-hmm. We don't slow down. And right. if people slow down, we think that's odd. Mm-hmm. Right. So I understand being like, wait, why are they dismissing? Why are they like not valuing this gift that they have been given? Because we don't present quietness and thought and reflection as a gift. No. Mm-hmm. It's funny to no. me to think that you said the first thing you said when I said, when I asked you how you listen to your body, the first words out of your mouth were meditating twice a day. And everything in me was like, wait, I'm not the only black person doing that. <laughs> I didn't know we did that. But right when I was coming up, who? Not for nothing. I have a cousin who's 103 years old. If I told her she should meditate, she would, she would try to lay hands on me and call her pastor. Right? Yep. That just wasn't part of my... So I'm like, it is simple. It is free. It's something you can do. It, Mm-hmm. A skill that you learn because I'll never forget. I learned about meditation what three years ago in coach training. I had mm, never thought uh-huh. of that before, and I remember the first time we had like a moment of quiet with some guided meditation. I was like, "Is everybody else restless?" Because I was like, "I'm comfortable being quiet, but in mm-hmm. that setting where they told me to be quiet and let my mind go blank, I didn't know how to do that." Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's new. Right. As I sit here now, thinking back, I'm like, well, of course it was uncomfortable. It's new. It's a skill you learn like any other skill. But in that moment, I was like, well, there can't be any value than this or it would be easier. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which is right. not true. But think right. about how simple it is to meditate to you now. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. for somebody who doesn't do that at all. Right. Not and so you much. start out with five minutes. Right. And and I want to I want to back up to something you said about um, and your mind goes blank. I haven't had that experience yet. And. I think that sometimes can give people misgivings. Oh, that they're not doing it right. Right. Exactly. And that, 
you know, really, it's just about, you know, until you get to that space, you know, it's just about seeing the thoughts and not getting into the story. Right. So I see the thoughts of I'm anxious about doing a podcast today and I see it and then I grab the thought and I pull it down and then I tell a story about it. Mm-hmm. Why I'm so nervous. <laughs> right. Why you're no, judging the pudding out of yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Versus just letting it go and be like, oh, OK, yeah, I'm nervous. I see it. I see you there kind of thing. So. I think it's a skill we have to bring back to our community because it also um, loosens up um, perfectionism. Um, mm. It also loosens up uh, the, the sort of expectations that living in America places on people of color um, and give and, and can provide a lot more space, right? That's the big thing that oh, when we're talking about grief, everything, like we have to create more space in ourselves so that we can hold more and process out the things we don't need. Ooh, that sounds like a whole sermon in and of itself. We have to, <laughs> I'm sorry, it just does. You're going to be back. That's just all there's to it. So if you're still nervous about podcasts, I hope that referred to like a podcast you're trying to create for yourself. And if so, you don't have to be nervous. I will help you. But if it was about being a guest on a podcast, we're just going to touch and agree right now electronically that it's okay. It's not painful because that feels like a whole other movie. We have to create more space within ourselves. Woo. Yes. Doesn't that sound like another episode? I think it does. I do. I absolutely do. Do you have a favorite um, meditation app? Well, you know, um, I've used both Calm and Headspace, and I think they're both wonderful. When I'm telling people to um, begin meditation, and I I really do, I tell all my clients, and they all are like, I can't do it. I'm like, that's fine. Just try. All you got to do is try. One of the things I tell them is, one of the things that's always been helpful to me is to start out with a short um, guided meditation. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because the guided meditations help interrupt my thoughts. Yes. Ooh, that's brilliant. Right. And so then at the very least, <laughs> I'm not all in my thoughts the whole time. And I am sort of following the words so that I get some benefit of it. Oh, I the love other that. thing I yeah, I'm sorry. The other thing I want to say is I, I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, I fall asleep. And I'm like, well, that's what's supposed to happen. Like, that's the thing about meditation. You start to realize that what you need shows up. Ooh. The other day, I'm trying to think which racial trauma it was. I cannot. The sad <laughs> thing is I can't pinpoint which one it was because there have been so many recently. But um, my old college roommate and I are on Zoom like all day, every day. Love her. It's just so funny, the relationships that endure, right? I'm like, she knew me when I was all sorts of messy with buck teeth and everything. But um, she was saying that she was trying to do some breath work, which I think is just her way of saying meditation, but that she had fallen asleep twice. And she was like talking all the smack to herself because she fell asleep. I'm like, maybe you were Mm -hmm. tired. Maybe the fact that you've been tossing and turning at night. (laughs) Yes. Create a little bit of a deficit and you need to deposit a little back into the sleep bank. But um, I was like, I'm glad she fell asleep because that meant that she had peaceful slumber. Right. 
and because I know, needed, yeah, because I know body and her spirit needed sleep. She had not been experiencing that, so I was loving uh, that. That's lovely. In order to lift your body, is there something else? Yeah, I mean, even like walking meditation is good, but any kind of exercise, like just just learn learning how to the thing about meditation and exercise and all those things. Too often we live in our heads. Right, so people always start kind of start. We'll start a sentence with "I think X," right? So I think it's coming from my mind, and what I'm asking is, "What's in your body?" Mm. And so that means I have to put my attention below my neck, mm. right? And that's what we teach in po- coaching programs mostly. It's like people live above their neck, and there's nothing below. I knew I liked guided meditation, but I didn't know why until you just said that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's why I love that. So I have an app called brain.fm and I listen to it every day because they have modules. I discovered them first because they have modules and I can't remember some sort of brainy music. That's what I call it. It's like music for your brain. I don't uh-huh. know what the scientific terms are. You would understand them better than I, but yes. Uh, brain. The, the thetas. Uh-huh. The thetas and the betas and the something, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> some sort of music, some sort of brain music magic. But I listen to it every day for focus. And I was out on Twitter one day, and I said something about how I wanted to try meditation. And then somebody tweeted, "Oh, I use Brain FM for that." I'm like, "Wait, this app I've been using all this time has a meditation? How about it has a relaxation uh-huh. section and a meditation section?" And I never looked at that. I only had looked at the focus part. But I didn't dig the meditation one because it wasn't guided. Mm. And I wanted my brain to shut off because it doesn't. It is constantly worrying. So guided meditation works for me because there was direction. I'm very coachable. There was direction and something specific that I could think about instead of the 900 things that I was thinking about normally. When I first started thinking, okay, so how can I listen to myself more? Because really what I wanted to do was trust myself more. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get to know myself better. And I didn't want to continue to like sleepwalk and live somebody else's life. I wrote stuff down on a piece of paper, even if I never intended to read it again. Mm-hmm. Oh, journaling. Oh my God. Like, I don't, I is that journaling? Because I didn't like put it in a book and come back to it, but I would grab a piece of paper. If it's journaling, great. I've been doing that for years, but I would grab a piece <laughs> of paper. And whatever was like worrying in my mind, I would just write about it. I wouldn't judge it. I'd just write it. And then I'd just walk away. Yes, exactly. Because sometimes I would start writing about one thing and then I would suddenly be writing about something different without consciously saying, okay, now I'm going to write about this. Is that another way of listening to my body or is that listening to myself? It can be both. I, I would add to that. What are you feeling? The thing to remember is, you know, thoughts are brain oriented feelings live in your body gotcha. feelings are the way that um i'm gonna go out on a limb here but feelings are a way that spirit talks to us Why the is that way the universe talk, talks to us okay right so the, the the more we can go down the more we start to have this conversation with um the universe about what it wants what it wants us to know and I also wanted to just say one thing about worry. Man, worry is a big one. Like there's a lot of worried people out in the world. Um, 
And my journey has been, I'm a warrior, um, both ways. But uh, I have learned that worry is the opposite of faith, Mm -hmm. right? And so whenever I get to that space that I'm worried about X, Y, Z isn't going to happen in the future, I have no idea that that's true, right? And so I need (laughs) to bring myself back to the present and just be like, oh, but that didn't happen yet, (laughs) right? It's usually money, right? Everybody doesn't want money. Well, if I leave this job, even though it's killing me, Mm. I won't have any money in the future. You got money right now, right? (laughs) 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 We'll be okay. (laughs) And maybe you worried about the money that you have right now before. So you might be able to um, decide that worrying about money isn't necessary for you to have money. Exactly. And that might be an old story. Yeah. Right. I'm in a PhD program right now and it took me a long time to get here. I said, I, you know, I'm in, you know, with a group of coaches and we coach each other. One of the things that came up was that I'm not smart enough. Right. So we all laughed because (laughs) that is clearly very old. Yes. (laughs) But it still lives. Yes. And it was time for it to die. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. So it's just, so that's another thing. Right. So to understand where these stories are coming from. Right? Are they are they old tapes? Child, that tape was elementary school, <laughs> right? Mm. Ain't, ain't nobody, ain't nobody said that since. <laughs> okay, remember earlier today when I said, "Oh, I didn't think I'd ever have a podcast because I didn't think it was interesting." Uh huh. I re- did you go to Riverside? I did for a minute. <laughs> okay, I still remember Miss Lydon telling me I wasn't that interesting. Yes. I was what, first or second grade? Yes. Now, I could go back and examine all the reasons that she decided that she needed to pour that into an eight-year-old, but I don't have time right now. But mm-hmm. my point is, you were like, why would you think that? And I was like, I don't know. Yes, I do. Mrs. Lydon told me I was not that interesting, so I should talk less. Yes. When right. I was in the first grade. Right. And I was still telling myself that when I was way beyond first grade. <laughs> exactly. That's how those messages show up. Mm-hmm. Right. That's how trauma shows up. Mm-hmm. Winnie Lydon. Let me stop. <laughs> <laughs> She's been gone a long time. It's not going to affect her, but it was still affecting me, right? There is magic in recognizing that that doesn't serve me anymore. Right. And that, and if you think about that incident, that's a traumatic incident. Yes. Exactly. I was the only Black kid in the class to start with, and... I was very introverted and shy, so I didn't usually talk, and I don't even know what was going on that day. Why? I'm reliving it right now. Right. How embarrassed I was standing there with my garanimals while this teacher told me in front of everybody that I wasn't that interesting and I should talk less. Right. Exactly. Whew. So you can see how that lives in your body, and you can, you can, you can let that go. Okay. Right? Because <laughs> every time it shows up, like every time I'm writing a paper and that little... That little man shows up who's like, I don't think I can write this paper, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, written hundreds of papers at this point. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to call you doctor. You know how usually <laughs> when you do something like that and your people all tell you, I'm not calling you doctor. Yeah, I'm going to call you. <laughs> I might call it to you in advance just to help you speak that into existence. I'm just That's- saying, I'm just saying, yeah, when you get it, I want to know it. I'm going to call you doctor. Trust me, you know, honey. <laughs> <laughs> a completion of a cycle 
of work, <laughs> a huge cycle of work. Yes, I'm so excited about that for you. But okay, so I want to be respectful of our time and we have covered so much stuff and the show notes for this are going to be epic. But I do have a question since you are a licensed therapist, right? So when I'm talking to an expert, because I talk to lots of really skilled amateurs, but as we're looking at grief around the pandemic, grief around racial trauma, and we're talking through some things that people can do today. So we've talked about a lot of things from not running from it, you know, kind of sitting in it, you know, not making up stories that aren't true about whatever it is that you're feeling, naming and acknowledging what it is that you're feeling, remembering who you are. That's my favorite. Every time I say it, I get goosebumps. Um, But we also talked about listening to your body and um, slowing down, creating more space. Here's the thing. Suppose all of that isn't working. How do we know when the things that we're trying to DIY aren't enough? How do we know when we need to reach out to somebody like you? Okay. So I want to say two. That's a two. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I kind of threw that one at you, but I'm no, like, no, hey. No, that's, good. Okay. that's good. One is there's never a time you can't or shouldn't reach out to a professional. Even just to get support around the story. Okay. Right? That's one. Two, when you're stuck in the story and you keep trying things that aren't helpful, you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, you need help. Mm. Clear enough. Right? Mm-hmm. right? Think about all the relationships one has been in and like... If you see a pattern, <laughs> you're the same. <laughs> we know, right? If you get a rash every time you eat crab, <laughs> yes, you right. might need to leave crab alone. And right. maybe somebody else will be able to help you see that quicker so you can spend less time in the emergency room. Exactly. Just something simple like that. It's called a journey through trauma. And it is a field guide, a trail guide, she calls it, a trail guide to the five phases, five phase cycle of healing repeated trauma. This uh, Gretchen Schmelzer, S-C-H-M-E-L-Z-E-R. I love this book because too often in trauma work, there's not enough sitting in the sensation to get the work done. So this book has a has a sort of plan about just like, you know, there's a whole period of preparation, right? Like you're in the preparation, you know what's happening, but you're not ready to move to the next stage yet and what you can do in that stage. Uh, I love it. And I think it's really, really helpful around racial trauma. Like these are the kind of traumas she talks about that are... Um, it happened over and over and over again. So it would be like, I think in her book, she talks a lot about like um, sexual trauma or um, uh, I think some physical traumas. But I've also used this around racial trauma, which is a, which is a perpetual, continuous feeling of um, disempowerment and continued repetition of having an experience of um, dealing with traumatic incidents based on race. 
Awesome. So I like that. Well, I thank you so much for being here today and pouring all this. Ju- you absolutely are going to have to come back because there were so many other things that I mentally stuck a pin in because I'm like, ooh, I want to I want to chew on that. Or, ooh, I want to chew on that. Um, so I thank you today for taking time out of your incredibly busy day to help my audience. Oh. If they want more from you, yes. where can they go get it? They can reach with, they should just send me emails. I, I'm an email kind of guy. Okay. My email is ray at raytherapist.com. Um, and they can send me emails with questions or if they need help or rap or whatever, whatever. I'm, I'm always open. Hey, this is Allegra. Hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of the Your Confidence Health Podcast. If you'd like additional resources on coping with grief or racial trauma, please visit the site at AllegraSinclair.com slash trauma. There you'll find full show notes from this episode, as well as other anti-racism resources. I'll catch you next time.